0: All right, welcome everyone tonight. Turn my mic on so we have a little amplification here. Good to see everyone, those who are beginning to jump on Facebook Live. Just want to say last night I did an interview on Zoom with Michael, what's his last name? Popovich. Popovich. And uh, it's on my Facebook page if anyone wants to go and view it. And uh, when we got on, he said, uh, I'm just going to let you take it away. So I ministered for about, what did you say, 40, 40, 40 minutes, 40 minutes uh, and with no interruptions or comments. And I'm kind of not used to that when I'm on Facebook Live with someone or Zoom. It's usually back and forth questions, and, and we communicate a little bit more. So it was a little bit different for me. I'd never done one like that before. But if you're interested in watching it, you can just go to my Facebook page, and there you will see it. What we're going to do tonight is Mind-Brain Connections number 83. And as some of you already know, because you got the little Facebook notice, I'm going to minister on the water of life. We came up to verse 6 last time, as we talked about the new heaven and the new earth, but the rest of verse 6 talks about being thirsty and experiencing the water of life. And we're going to talk about that water of life, the fountain of the water of life. But let me just kind of reiterate some things in your hearing before we actually get there. In Revelation 21, we have discussed many times from Numbers chapter 2, the north, the south, the west, and the east. And I've shared with you that when you look north, what is on the east is the right, And the right hemisphere symbolically speaks to us of the spirit or of the Christ mind. And also in Jeremiah, I'm not even sure where it is. I didn't write the address down. But it talks about the fact there that God made the vineyard with his right hand. He made the vineyard with his right hand. And it states, let your hand be upon the sun or let your grace or let your hand be upon the sun of the right hand. And so as we've looked at this, we've seen that Judah, that represents enlightenment, represents the Spirit, was placed, not by accident, but was placed on the right side, on the east side of the tabernacle, the tabernacle being in the middle. And we talked about that tabernacle being in the middle last week. Where is the middle? The middle, we've always said, well, he's in our heart. And we've pointed here. But no, the middle, the heart, when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, he likened the heart to the ground, or the ground to the heart, and the heart is our awareness. So if you lop off your head, you'd have no spiritual experience. And if we laid on the tabernacle, our head would be in the most holy place. So there is a portion of our in our head that is the holiest place, and it's the right side, and that's what we want to draw from. Now, let me give you a few things before we get to Revelation 21. In Genesis chapter 2, if you want to turn there and follow along, I'm going to read that. Genesis chapter 2, and verse 15, it states And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, I'm not looking at Adam and the woman as literal people, they could have been, I'm just going to look at them spiritually. Because what good does it do for us to look at all the historicity of these stories if we cannot spiritualize it and bring it into a practical application within our lives? And so it says, he took the Lord God, took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden. Now, we know what Eden means. Eden is that place of perfection and completeness where there's no lack whatsoever. So he put man in the midst, of the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So I see Adam as symbolic of our right side. Man, the masculine principle. Man, Adam, the right side. The masculine principle that houses the seed that then is transplanted or injected or conceived on the right side of the feminine principle. And, of course, Eve would be that feminine principle, if we're looking at that spiritually. And so what would the serpent be? It wasn't a talking snake that was dealing with the woman. It wasn't a talking snake. If you look at the spine and the opening of the energy fields, the energy goes up in a serpentine motion on our backside that opens the Book of Life, the Book of Spirit within us, so the serpent was her flesh. Serpent is connected with the flesh in every aspect, spirit, soul, and body. And so what was she listening to? She was listening to, and I shared this last on my, last night on Mike Popovich's Zoom uh, show that we did. When you look at this and you see what Eve was listening to, what was she listening to and focusing upon but her feminine side, her flesh, And of course, we know on our body, the five physical senses are up on the body and they flow to the brain. So she was tempted by the flesh. She was tempted by what seemed good for food and was pleasant to the eye. So the serpent was nothing more than her flesh that began to talk to her. In other words, she began to draw from that feminine principle or from that left side. Nothing wrong with the left side, as we've said many times, as Candy shared tonight. You know, The tree's on either side of the river in the city of God. And so she, she did not submit. She did not take that, that feminine part of her, the five senses, the earth realm, on the left side, and yielded unto the Christ mind of the left side. Now look what else it says in Genesis 2 and verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden, notice, and here's where Judah is, eastward, on the east side. The Lord planted this garden on our right side, on the east side in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. In other words, that which was the divine garden was located by God by his right hand, according to Jeremiah, on the right side or on the east side. So initially, we were given this right hemisphere of the brain that represents the Christ mind to dress it or to dress us up. We're dressed up when we bring that Christ mind to the feminine side. That dresses us up. Haven't you heard people say, you look good in righteousness? You look good, praise looks good on you, or righteousness looks good on you. Well, you don't have that righteousness subjectively, objectively, it's ours. We've always been the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But when we dress the garden, when we dress up the left side, and how do we dress up the right side? I'm sorry. When we dress up the right side, and how do we dress up the the right side? By bringing it to the left side. Then it looks good on us. And so, sad to say, the sad fact is most people in churches have no clue whatsoever about this. They're just waiting to go to heaven to get raptured out of this hell hole, to go off into the pie in the sky, and then all of a sudden they're going to experience whole man redemption within their physical body. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 21. That was just a little appetizer to just kind of you know set your mind going in the right direction for what we're going to be talking about tonight. You go into a good restaurant, you get an appetizer, right? Well, you just got yours right there. Come on. It, it all follows suit. It all fits like a hand in a glove. When you begin to not look at things literally, not saying that there's not literal, literalism there, certainly there is, but when we can begin to draw out of the book of spirit, the book of life within us. So this is why it's so important for us to understand the scripture spiritually, rather than trying to literalize everything. uh, Some lady put a post on the other day, and I think she got a little ticked off at me because I made a comment, uh, and one of the things that she said after another couple of comments from a couple other people and then myself, she said, uh, well, Paul made a lot of mistakes. Well, only if you're reading Paul, what he wrote, in a literal sense. If you're reading it in a literal sense, then yeah, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. And Paul, what are you thinking? You know, he says, we must submit one to another. And then the next verse, he talks about the woman submitting to the husband. (laughs) So something's wrong there. Paul was talking spiritually, and there must be the submission. Yes, in natural marriages, there must be the submission one to another. And when I did the marriage of my grandson, I said, you know, God is the one that ordained marriage, spirit inspired it, but we make it what it is. And we make it what it is by yielding one to another, submitting one to another, not only out there in literal marriage or literal relationships, but even in our physical anatomy. We yield that left side to the spiritual side. So look what it says here, Revelation 21.6. And he said unto me, it is done. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going to go over through the Alpha and the Omega. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, I will, this is what I want to focus on tonight, this last sentence here in verse 6 of Revelation 21, I will, I will, not maybe or I might, I will give, in other words, this person is going to experience this because he's already given it to all men. We all have the water of life given to us freely on the inside of us. But I will give, and there's a prerequisite, unto him, I will cause him to experience If he's a thirst, if he's thirsty, they're going to experience the fountain of the water of life freely. Now, first of all, I want to look at the word freely. The word freely, if you look this up in the Greek, it means a gift. And we know that a gift is something that you don't earn, you don't merit, you don't pay for. It's something that is freely given. Now, I hear something else other than what I found in the Greek about that. What I hear from that is a free flow. A free flow. And I also hear unlimited. And I also hear no M to. And I also hear that you only get to experience this water of life freely if you are thirsty. And so it has to be, listen... Since everyone has the fountain of living water on the inside of them objectively, to experience this, there's a prerequisite in other words, to experience it subjectively, you have to be thirsty for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to be thirsty yeah. to experience this. Now, as I said when I started this, we are looking at the book of Revelation from the perspective of the physical body. Why? Simply because, much that is written in the Revelation, the book of Revelation surrounds the temple, and our body is the temple. Much surrounds the throne, and a throne is a place you rule from, and you only rule when you draw from the Christ mind, from the spiritual thoughts. You rule over, first of all, the lower thoughts. Now, if we're thirsty, you have to be thirsty here. Like, for example, when you're naturally thirsty, what do you do? Well, you go get some water. Or maybe you go get some other things and you begin to drink. In other words, you get a drink. If you're thirsty in the natural, you're going to get a drink. But now there's another aspect of this phrase. Let me read it again. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Now, why are there some people today that are not thirsty? That's my question. And that was my question as I was meditating and contemplating on The end there of verse 6. Simply because they're full of something else. (laughs) (laughs) What are they full of? But they are full of... I'm not going to get nasty here. They are full of religiosity. And so that religiosity that they are full of, what has it done? It has squelched their thirst for spiritual reality. So they're full of it in terms of religiosity. Now remember, we are applying this to what? Revelation, mind, and body. So let me give you a few flack, uh, flax, a few, <laughs> give you some flaxseed here tonight. <laughs> give you some, some facts here, and you can fact check this if you want to. All you have to do is go to the computer, and you can bear these things out. But in relationship to the fountain effect, if I can say that right, in relationship to the fountain effect and how we have to be thirsty and not full of religiosity, which squelches our thirst for spiritual experience, let me say this, because we're applying this to the body. And I shared with you about the colostrum. When a woman breastfeeds her infant, every known nutrient is in the colostrum. And there's a part of her brain that produces the colostrum. And the colostrum is our minerals and other vitamins, I'm sure, that, that are in it that I'm not aware of because I've not really studied that out. But what it does is it begins to develop the brain. It's made in the brain of the mother, the colostrum, and it develops the brain in the child, in the infant. you know? My one granddaughter, Katie Grace, she was breastfed, and she was given for I don't know how many months of her life after she was born, organic things to eat once she was able to you know move beyond just the milk, the breast milk. And she uh, to this day she doesn't like uh, what are the green uh, things um, that you get in the Mexican uh, restaurant, the green uh, uh, no, what is it called you dip. Chips in it? Guacamole, yeah. She to this day does not like guacamole because Sandy fed her mushed up organic guacamole. (laughs) And you know, uh, and I'm here to tell you, and I I say this humbly, I'm not, you know, all my grandchildren are smart, but this one is genius level. And Sandy took great pains to give her not only the breast milk, the colostrum with all the minerals. But the organic food cost him an arm and a leg, but she did that, and it's paid off. But here's my point about, I will give unto him, that is the thirst, the fountain of the water of life. When you're talking about the fountain effect within the physical body, let me read this to you. The colostrum, the colostrum fluid, is made in the brain, travels up and down the 33 vertebrae through the seven energy fields or nerve centers, Once it hits, once the colostrum, and you could call that, you know, there are different names, the chrism, the fire, the Christ, the anointing, all of those words are synonymous. Once it hits the root energy field, it travels back up to the 33 vertebrae and it pauses, it has a time of meditation, I'd like to say, it pauses momentarily before entering into the brain or the skull, and of course, you know, Jesus was crucified at a place called the skull, to activate and to illuminate enlightenment. So in the body, the fountain effect has to do with this colostrum that is made in a portion of our brain that flows down, up and down, because isn't that what a fountain does? It flows up and down with the water. So the reason why people are not experiencing, or at least one of the reasons They're not experiencing this whole man redemption. You know, Romans chapter 8, it talks about to with the redemption of the body. And then you've got, and I ministered this last night a little bit on on, on, uh, Mike Popovich's uh, Zoom class that we had. I I shared where in, in, I think it's Philippians chapter 3 or 4, it talks about this vile body being transformed and becoming like his glorious body. And I said, We never had a vile body. We just thought we had a vile body. And I think the vileness of the body just refers to the fact you got to brush your teeth once in a while and you got to use a a little soap and a little underarm deodorant. See? But it's not a vile body. Only in that sense is it a vile body. But it says there it should be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Then when you get into Romans chapter 8, it talks about, it uses words like to wit, the redemption of the body. And the words to wit are old English for to know. So all we have to do is know that our body is not a vile body in that sense, that it's unlike, of course not. We're the body of Christ. We're bone of his bone. We're flesh of his flesh. So as we're looking at this word fountain, what we see, even in the natural... When it rains, the water comes down. We had rain the last couple of days, and my lawn certainly needed it. Now it's greening up again. But the rain comes down, and it gives life. Just as this colostrum that is produced in our brain, as it begins to come down and rise up and come down and rise up, activate the pineal and the pituitary, which is what? The lamb and the bride becoming one together in our experience, because that's what... The other words for it are lamb, and ram, and burnt offering, and aries. Another word for pituitary is the bride. So as we shared a couple Sundays ago, not only do we experience the joining of the Lamb and the Bride in spirit, the Lamb and the Bride in soul or in our awareness, but we experience the Lamb and the Bride in our physical body. As this energy rises up, goes up and down and activates the pineal, the Lamb which is joined to the Bride, the pituitary, then it continues to the right and we experience the gift of life. That's the gift of life in the physical body. So as the rain comes down, got a little ahead of myself there, but as the rain comes down and waters the lawn and brings life to the plants and and the trees and everything, do you know that that water ascends upward then? You don't see it, but it actually, in a form, ascends upward. And that's what a fountain does. It comes down and it goes up. In the Greek, the word fountain is the idea of a gushing. It's the idea of a gushing. So it's an upward and a downward motion that affects everything in positive ways. And so what are we looking at today in this series that we're doing as we have incorporated the book of Revelation? We are looking at our physical bodies and our mind, the right side being brought to the left side. We are experiencing the effects of whole man's salvation or bodily salvation. Now, as I said, most people will not be thirsty for this because their pastors or their preachers or their church that they attended said you can't, there's an aspect of your salvation and redemption that you cannot experience till after you die, the pie in the sky, the rapture takes place, Jesus comes back on a white horse, tooting the golden trumpet over Kennedy Airport, dodging 747s. Listen, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The coming of the Lord, the epiphania, the outshining, the outreign, the perusia, His presence, the apocalypsis is the unveiling of a Christ. Romans chapter 8 says that the whole creation is groaning for, on tiptoe groaning for, that they might be delivered into the glorious liberty of the sons of God themselves. And it's going to be a people. Who are the manifested sons of God? But a people that are experiencing, not just talking, but walking and experiencing redemption in the whole man's spirit and soul and body. And that's what the Amplified says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says we are sanctified, redeemed, you could say saved, whatever word, spiritified, whatever you want to put in there, through and through. And then it goes on to say spirit and soul and and body. And all of it is for now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of whole man salvation. So what does this fountain illustrate? What does it illustrate? But it illustrates the part of the energy and the colostrum and the chrism and the fire and all that's produced in an aspect of our brain that is called the holiest place. And that energy comes down, and a lot of it is stored in the solar plexus. And then, like the fountain, it rises up, and it comes down, and it rises up. And listen, the chrism or the colostrum is called the gift of life. Well, absolutely, it gives life to your body, just as the rain gives life to the trees and the lawn and all that it touches. Now, this is associated, this word, water of life, freely fountain of water of life freely, as I said, is a gift. Of course it's a gift. You had nothing to do with the fact that God placed a portion of your brain to make this chrism and and manufacture this colostrum. And if we want to enhance it, and if we're thirsty for it, we're going to enhance it. By what? Through meditation. Through taking no thought of the left side through seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things that you have an apparent need for are unfolded from the invisible realm out to the visible realm. Yeah. And remember, in our last session, we, we talked about the journey of the joining in spirit, in soul, and body of the Lamb and the Bride. And I shared with you how, and I'm going to repeat this again because I got ahead of myself a while back here. I get so excited about this stuff. <laughs> but I shared with you how that In spirit, there's a joining of the lamb and the bride. Because we are considered in one aspect the city in Revelation is in the feminine principle. So we as a whole are considered the bride. So in spirit, the lamb marries the bride. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. In the psyche, or in the, some call it the soul, or in the awareness, the scripture talks about the salvation of the soul, the converting of the soul. What is that talking about? It's talking about the lamb and the bride becoming one in that soul realm, if you want to call it that, the psychic realm, or in the awareness realm, the heart awareness. And then I shared with you how the pituitary is the bride. I mean, you can even Google that and find that. And if you Google the pineal, it'll give you simultaneous words or synonymous words that can be used, which are the lamb, the ram, the burnt offering, and Aries. So if we're thirsty for this, as verse 6 says, this fountain of living water that has freely been given unto us, if we're really thirsty for it, what's going to happen? We're going to experience it. As it comes down from our heaven, this is our heaven. As it comes down from our heaven, just as the rain comes down from heaven through our meditation, through our bringing the Christ mind, the spiritual thoughts from the right side to the left side, then we're going to begin to experience that because what does it show? It shows that we are thirsty. No one's going to give themselves to meditation and go to that effort And activate the Christ mind and go to that effort if they don't want to experience whole man redemption in the physical body. Now the ancients, listen, the ancients were people that knew about the single eye in the pineal and they never made a vestige out of it. Religion has made a vestige out of the pineal. Remember, I shared with you, if you look up, I think it's the Collegiate Anointed Webster's Dictionary, you look up the word pineal, it gives a definition of a vestige, meaning something we've thrown away, something we're not interested in. But the ancients never made a vestige out of the pineal. They understood that when Jesus said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light, experience light, not just in spirit and soul, but in Spirit, soul, and body, or spirit, awareness, and physical body. Now, let me have you hang on to Revelation 21, go to Psalm 36, verse 9. Psalm 36 and verse 9. So when Jesus said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light, what he was saying was, don't allow your pineal to become a vestige. That's what he was saying. If your eye be single... Your whole body will be full of light. That's bodily redemption right there. Amen. So he was, in so many words, saying, don't allow the single eye, don't allow the pineal to become a vestige in your life, but activate it. And I shared with you before how that the pineal is really, when it's not activated, it's like granular pieces of sand. But when it's activated, it gets hardened. And I think it's the rock or the stone that the builders rejected. One of them. Because we have rejected it. Oh, that's New Age. Oh, that's Eastern philosophy. I don't care what it is. It's a part of my body. And God gave it. And so 139 of Psalms says that he fearfully and wonderfully made our bodies. And every part of it has a function. He didn't waste any organs. He didn't waste any cells. He didn't waste any atoms or protons or neutrons. He gave it all to us. And it was his design because he wanted us to come to the realization that our bodies are very precious and they're very holy and they need to be used accordingly. Now, in Psalm 36, 9, it says, For with thee is the fountain of life. For with thee in you and I objectively in every man is the fountain of life but not every man will experience it subjectively because they won't give themselves to meditation they won't pay any attention to it because of what religion has told them they're full of religion and so therefore it has quenched their thirst or it, it, it has what was the word squelched their thirst for this I mean why would you thirst for something if you think it's not for today well you wouldn't You do like the rest of religion is done. Well, that's for, you know, on heart, you know, the scripture says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. No wonder they're all sick, spiritually speaking. So Psalm 36, 9, For with thee is the fountain of life. Every man has this. He lighteth every man that comes into the world, objectively. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. So my question is, how do we see light? Only one way. Only if our eye is single. And once we have operated out of that single eye, it affects then the pineal. It activates the pineal. And then your body begins to be filled with light. And not only when the pineal and the pituitary is activated is your body filled with light, you come into much spiritual enlightenment and much spiritual experience. Now, let me say something about that, because I want to just throw this in, it won't cost you any extra. In the Egyptian pyramids, there was a chamber that was called the King's Chamber. And that was the place where the manas, M-A-N-A-S, which symbolizes the mind of Christ. And you know that there was a certain compartment in the pyramids of Egypt that when you put food in there, it can last for thousands of years without rotting and deteriorating. So in this king's chamber in the Egyptian pyramids, this special holiest of holies compartment, there was the manas, M-A-N-A-S, and it symbolizes the mind of Christ. Now, let me just say this. When Moses and the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and I know we taught this before in this series, And the manna came down from heaven. I mean, one place it says it came down from heaven, like it came out of the sky. And another place it says they grew the stuff. So which is it? I mean, I can't imagine a McDonald's, you know, uh, Big Mac coming out of the sky. And I'm going to take it. You know, I want pickles on it, tomatoes and onions. And uh, that's my order. And it's going to come floating out of the sky, and I'm going to whop it down. I can't imagine that. So what I think is, is, this is my opinion on this, I think that that was pointing to the way that it was written, the manna coming down from the sky or coming down from heaven, the way that it was written is pointing to the fact because I believe the wilderness experience or the wilderness being in the wilderness symbolizes meditation. Say it again. I believe the wilderness symbolizes meditation. And in meditation, what happens is the mind of Christ from the right side comes, is revealed to us, truth is revealed to us, and then we can bring that to the, to the left side or to the feminine principle. So I believe that the, the manus, and then when we read in another place, in fact, it's, let me just read it in Revelation 2.17, it says, he that hath an ear, notice it doesn't say, if you've got two ears on your head. Now, he that hath an ear, there's one eye, and some places Jesus said eyes to see or ears to hear. And I think that represents, and I've shared this before, that represents sometimes we hear by spirit, sometimes we don't. We're back and forth. But the scripture talks about an ear to hear and an eye, singular, to see. So Revelation 2.17 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Now, what is the hidden manna? It is the wisdom and the understanding. It is food for the soul. It's bread. It's the bread of life. And what does it mean to overcome? To overcome simply means we overcome or we bring the Christ mind to the left side and we take no thought of the thoughts of the left side. In other words, we're not thinking merely out of human reasoning or human logic or our intellect, but we are submitting one to another. We're submitting, we're paying our tithe, we're giving that 10% of the left side that scientists say we use, and we're submitting it or yielding it to the right side. So... This light back here, let me read that again in Psalm 36, 9. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. So this light is synonymous with understanding. Paul talked about the eyes of our understanding being opened and so forth. So it's the Christ mind. The light is the Christ mind. And the light is the divine understanding that we receive concerning whole man redemption for spirit and for soul, or for awareness and for body. Now, go back to Revelation 21 if you're not there. Verse 7, and let's continue with this and finish a little bit of this. Not going to go too far. But verse 7 says, He that overcometh, uses the word overcometh again, just as we read in chapter 2, verse 17. If we overcome the thoughts of the left side and the human reasoning of the left side and submit it to the right side, let spirit flow through the intellect. We need intellect. We need to be able to reason. Isaiah said, come, let's reason together. Nothing wrong with the five senses. They just need to be yielded. And it uses that word overcometh. If we overcome that left side by slipping into the Christ's mind, we're an overcomer. Now, we're an overcomer by virtue of us being in Christ to begin with, but I'm talking about subjectively overcoming in our walk, in our life. So verse 7 of Revelation 21, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Now, inherit can be used as experience. If you subjectively are overcoming the thoughts and the human reasoning, the human logic of the left side, then you will experience the all things that you already are and have. Then it goes on, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In other words, just as Jesus Christ was the Son of God, so you and I are the Son of God, and we experience that. And the overcoming, its see, and you have to. You know, I shared last week how wh- when are we going to see the coming of the Lord in a people? When all of the money changers have been driven out. Because it only leaves the Lord. It only leaves one and beside him there is no other. Come on. See? And it's we in and as him. Absolutely. See? Now, what are the all things here? We will experience all things. All that is already yours subjectively. And he is all, in all, as all. So, in other words, you will experience the allness. Now, listen, not just in spirit, and this is where religion stops, not just in spirit and awareness, or some call soul, but Body as well. Body as well. Amen. To me, this is one of the biggest lies that's ever been perpetrated by religiosity is that there's an aspect of your salvation that you can only experience after you die the pie in the sky or the rapture of the church or whatever. Amen. Amen. It's a lie, folks. Yes. It's a lie from the pit. Yes. It is not that... Why? <laughs> Why in the big round world well, sal- would salvation be provided for us? From before the foundation, by the way, yeah. why would it have been provided for us in spirit? And we go a little bit further, become half-baked, as I used to say. <laughs> Two-thirds, the awareness part. And why would he leave off the body? Yeah. 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 Absolutely would not. Right. It's, it's for the whole man.
1: Yeah.
0: If he didn't want to include the body, he should have never given me a body. <laughs> right? He should have stopped and just left me floating around, and you know, when I was in him from before the foundation. Yeah. I had someone actually send me a message, want to know why that he brought us out of that wonderful realm to this realm. And I understood that the person was suffering a lot, you know, and so I tried to, to answer, you know, his, his question. Now, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. But, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death." In other words, the people that are fearful, and how many people today in religiosity say, well, meditation, that just opens your mind to demons and devils. So therefore, they're what? Well, the next word, they're unbelieving. And all of these just kind of play up on one another. See, they're fearful, which constitutes that they're unbelieving. Now, look what it says. And I just had someone write me. You probably saw me, you know, chatting on my phone right before the worship service tonight. Someone wrote me and wanted to know what brimstone is. And I said, it's restorative. Do you remember? Have you ever taken sulfur when you were a kid, maybe for tonsils that were swollen and infected? It it restored you, it healed you. And so I chatted back with the person and I said, brimstone is restorative. It's not some retributive lake of fire, fire and brimstone. It is something that is retributive. And so that's what this is talking about. These people, the fearful, the unbelieving, the whole list there, shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire, or the lake of fire, and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, the word brimstone is P-U-R in the Greek, and it really means divine fire. So if it's a divine fire, how's it going to destroy? It? How's it going to be retributive? How's it going to be the vengeance of God? And what is the second death? Which is the second death? The second death is the death of the so-called power of the lower thoughts. Remember in Revelation 20, 14, it states that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Anything that causes you death in the carnal mind, the left side, in and of itself, is death personified. Hell causes you pain in your life. And guess what? Guess who creates that? Well, we do by drawing out of the left side, by not giving our tithe by not taking that 10% that wants to operate in and of itself and submitting it unto Christ. So all this is talking about is the unbelieving and and the fearful and the abominable and the liars and all that. What are they going to do? They're going to have all of that burnt up, see, through the fire of the Word of God. That's all that that is talking about. And I'm convinced that there are a people that are a lake of fire. What? What is a lake but a body of water? So what is a lake of fire but a body of people that are one with the fire but have this word that they can present it, you know, simple enough for people to understand it so their trash can be burnt up. That's what we're dealing with. I mean if you if you look up if you look up the different words for hell, none of them are eternal conscious torment. You won't find one. One was Gehenna, where they you know the city brought their trash. Well
1: We've been in Gehenna for a number of years
0: and we've had all of our trash, our death and hell cast into the lake of fire that burns all of that stuff up. Jeremiah said, my word, God's word is a fire. It's a fire. Uh, The writer of Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, I'm not sure what chapter, said that his word is a fire. His word is a fire. Now look at verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. Now, remember, years ago, I taught on the seven last plagues. I think it's in Revelation chapter 16. And the previous chapter says they're wonderful. What? The seven last plagues are wonderful? Absolutely. Because you know what they were, if you remember how I taught that? They were vials of blood. And the only other place that the word vile is used is in the Old Testament where it talks about the vile on the table of showbread with the wine. So all of those seven plagues, last plagues, have to do with an aspect of what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's poured out, if you read it, poured out on our head. (laughs) It's poured out on our head. So all of that is restorative. So it says, "And there came into me, verse nine, "One of the seven angels had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, "Come hither, come up, move out of the Christ mine, and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife." Now my question is, how did the bride become the lamb's wife? <laughs> Talking spiritual a bride in the natural, you don't stay a bride very long. Once you have that, do your vows, you become the guy's wife, right? So how do we go from the bride to the lamb's wife here? Well, very simple. When you experience the salvation in the physical body, when the pineal, the lamb, the ram, the burnt offering, Aries, activates the pituitary, the bride, then there's going to be that movement to the right and the further it journeys to the right, it's just like when the sun, the winter solstice, comes down. We've been through this many times, and is in the heart of the earth three days and nights. Around the 24th of December, it begins to rise up, and it consumes the burnt offering. It consumes the ram, consumes the lamb, it consumes Aries. And as it comes out, our days get longer. The more it goes to the right, our days get longer. We come into the springtime of our life naturally. We come into the summertime of our life naturally. And the same thing here as in the natural and the spiritual, as the pineal pituitary join together and the energy continues to the right, what happens? We come into the spring of our life where things begin to bloom and blossom and the summer where we then bear the fruit, the fruit that remains. So that's what we're talking about here, where he says, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. That not only took place in us spiritually, folks, it's taking place in us in our heart awareness, and it's also simultaneously taking place, since we're dealing with it, with this, taking place in our physical bodies. Verse 10, Revelation 21, and he carried me away in the spirit. To a great and high mountain, and he showed me that great city. Hello, great city. Hello. Oh, it's great when this happens. Yep. Yep. Showed me the great city. That's what he's showing John. He's showing John the people that have experienced the marriage of the Lamb, not only in spirit and soul or awareness, but also in physical body, where the two, the pineal and the pituitary, have been activated. So he showed me this great. City, the holy Jerusalem, Jerusalem means peace. Listen, descending out of heaven from God. In other words, coming from the midst of us. Not coming down from some physical heaven somewhere, but coming down from what? From heaven in us to earth. There's a coming down there. And listen to verse 11: having the glory of God and her light. Her light. The city's light, or you could say the feminine principle's light. Her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. And Jesus Christ was described in Revelation as the jasper stone. So now the city is feminine. It's, it's in the feminine principle, or in the feminine when you look up city in the Greek. And Jerusalem means peace. So this feminine part which is experiencing peace is coming down or coming out of us. And remember when we talked about they were playing harps and harps mean harmony? And what what part of your physique plays a harp? Well, it's your mouth up in your head part. So it all fits together. What this is talking about is the two have become one, no longer a bride, but now is the lamb's wife because the two have been joined, and her light, the light of the city and the feminine, her light, or the light of the body, has been activated through the meditation and the single eye and the pineal and the pituitary becoming one and the energy, like the fountain, which is a gift, going up and down and up and down, which is a gift of life. Now, let me have you go to Hebrews in closing, Hebrews chapter 4. Then it goes on and it describes the wall. Now, what is a wall? When you look up the word wall in the Greek, it's salvation. So this wall talks about the wall. We'll deal with that later, maybe next week, I don't know. But the wall is complete salvation, not just salvation in spirit and salvation in soul or in our awareness, but in the body. And then verse 16 of Revelation 21 Says there that the city lieth four square. Uh Uh Uh-oh, that's right. (laughs) What does that mean? The city lieth four square. Well, your full fourfold aspects, spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual, have all now submitted unto the spiritual aspect and they are in a balance. Four square. They're a cube. You're the cube. You're square. Well, I knew, you know, I knew knew the scripture said someplace back in Exodus that we're a peculiar people. And what does that mean? Weird? No, it doesn't mean we're weird. It means that's where his treasures are hid. That's where his treasures are hid in us. Now, Hebrews chapter four, I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter four, verse one. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, rest here is also another word is Sabbath. And Sabbath is what? What number is Sabbath but the seventh? And seven, when we're applying this to our physical bodies, have to do with the seven energy fields or the seven nerve centers. Now, hang on to Hebrews because I want to go back to Hebrews, but quickly go to Acts chapter 17. Let me show you something here. Let me show you this guy that's only named. One time in the entire scripture that I know of. And Paul the apostle was hanging around this guy. Acts chapter 17 and verse 34. And we'll see where Paul came in contact with this guy by the name of Dionysius. The Agabite or Gite. Dionysius, the (laughs) Arapagite, if I'm pronouncing it right. In verse 34, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius. Now, if you do a study on this guy, you can find him in mythology. He was a weird type of a guy. But this is what he instructed the people he instructed the people to eliminate the thoughts of the left side in and of themselves and to gravitate toward the right side of the Christ mind. Now, Paul the Apostle was hanging around this strange guy, Dionysius the Pythagite, (laughs) And what this strange man would do to physically let people see that he no longer was gravitating toward the carnal thoughts and the lower thoughts, but that he was gravitating toward the right side of spirit and the Christ mind. He did something that was very strange. Well, maybe not for some people, but he shaved his head. Uh And this is the only time that I know that this man is mentioned here. And so this strange guy, he, he affects Paul with this strange philosophy that he was spouting about, about the higher thoughts being related to a person shaving their head. Now, let me show you in chapter 18... In verse 18, what Paul the Apostle does. Now, I'm not advocating that anyone shave their head, but I'm just simply saying, you know, they had a Nazarite vow where they shaved their head, and there were different reasons. A lot of people did that back in Jesus' day as a ritual. But this Dionysius shaved his head because he wanted to show the... See, because what grows out of your head? Hair grows out of your head. So he was trying to show that he was not you know, growing something out of his head that came from the left side but came from the right side. So to show that, he went so far as to shave his head. Now, what we see Paul doing, because Paul hung around this Dionysius, the agrogite, in chapter 18 of Acts and verse 18, it says, And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria and with Priscilla and Aquila, Having shorn his head in Cenchira, for he had a vow. So, in other words, right after Paul met the strange guy that displayed the fact that he wasn't drawing thoughts from the left side but from the right side, shaved his head, Paul does the same thing because he had a vow. So, my question to you is do we have a vow? Do we have a vow not to shave our head? I you know, I I was joking with my daughters, and I was kind of serious, and I thought, well, I think when I go gray, I'm just going to shave my head and wear a wig for a while. Well, I'm going gray,
1: (laughs) but I haven't
0: shaved my head, and I'm not planning on it. And I went into my my gal that does my hair, and and she said, uh, I just had a lady in here today we were talking about if I'm going to go through with this or not. And she said, I just had a lady in here today that she just couldn't deal with, and so she had me color her hair. I said, I'm going through with it. I started this, I'm going through with it. But I'm not going to shave my head. (laughs) But I do have a vow. And the vow is that I will no longer, by the grace of God, draw from my lower thoughts, but I'm going to continually, by God's grace, draw from the right side of the higher thoughts of the Christ mind. Now, go back in closing, a second closing, right? Go back to Hebrews chapter (laughs) 4, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. Is this my third closing? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. And Look what it says here. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest... As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his labor. So what is he talking about here? The seventh day of rest is connected with this colostrum that is manufactured in a part of our brain and is this water of life, this fountain of this water of life that as we meditate and as... Now, again, let me say this again to make sure that I'm not deceiving anyone here because I believe that our energy fields have to be open to a degree to even live. But I'm talking about optimal fountain of the water of life that is a gift that as we meditate, we begin to activate that flow to flow more freely within us. And that is connected with rest. It's connected with the seventh day. It's connected with the Sabbath. All of that goes together because why? Because salvation and redemption is for the whole man. We have rest in our spirit. We have rest in our soul or our awareness but we must come to rest in our physical bodies. We need to start playing that harp. (laughs) We need to start playing the harp because the harp signifies that we have harmony within our physical body. And if we don't come to the place to where we experience the Sabbath, the seventh, the rest, even in our physical bodies, then you know what? We're going to be just like David said. You're going to die as men. You're going to... Die as Adam. You're a prince, yep. and you have all of this. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings, yep. been given all things pertaining to life and God, but you're going to still die like men. Yep. See, So it behooves us to experience this. Now, look what it goes on to say in verse 7. It says, again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, listen to this, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your Conscious awareness. Harden not your individual awareness. How would we harden it By thinking it's for another day and another time. It's not for today. We cannot experience this. That's how we would harden our heart awareness. Verse 10, For he that hath entered into his rest, he also hath, here's another important aspect, ceased from his own works as God did from his. (laughs) So what does that mean? It means if we're really entering into this, and if we're really experiencing this, then we're going to cease from our own works, and the way I see own works is our own thoughts of the left side. Because that's a work, let me tell you, that's a work to draw from death. You've got to work at that. <laughs> you know, you really do. You have to work at drawing from the lower thoughts of the carnal. You know why? Well, let me leave that for next week. Through meditation, through meditation, through taking no thought, through seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness by going deeper within us, by doing all those things that Jesus said, and I might add that Buddha said, and I might add that Krishna said, and I might add that Muhammad said. Although Jesus was the only one that really came and laid down His life. So yes, what they said was true, but you know what? Jesus was the last Buddha, the last Mohammed, the last Krishna that came because they didn't lay down their lives for us, but they had some truth. You know, and and Christians just shun from those guys. I mean, they're like the devil, but they had some truth, and Jesus taught those same truths. The difference is Jesus, when he was crucified, rose from the dead. And I know we have all of these false things that are said about Buddha and Krishna and Muhammad, they raised from the dead as well. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Jesus Christ is the only one that willingly laid down his life for us. His death exposed the lies. When he said, it is finished, it means the baffling wind of the lie of who you thought you were. His death exposed and absorbed all the lies of religiosity. And his resurrection revealed the truth of who we had always been. A couple of the meanings of resurrection is to gather your faculties. That's talking about right here. And it means the discovery or the recovery of spiritual truth about who we have always been. That's what resurrection means. Amen. Oh, I see it clearly now. Oh, yeah. I can see clearly now. now. Right? Come on. Now, look at verse 11. I'm going I'm to close with this. Uh-oh, four. <laughs> verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter in to that rest. Now, let me stop and say this. What do you mean, labor, to enter into that rest? That word labor should not have been there. It's the word speedily. So in other words, let us speedily enter into the rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, as we read about back in Revelation 21. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So as we have seen in Revelation 21 and verse 8, there is a fear that can keep people from believing what we're talking about, and entering into the Sabbath in their bodies. Entering into their rest, in their bodies. And consequently, what happens if they fear that, if they have a fear of that because of what religion has taught them, then they will, on the same wise, have the unbelief. They'll have the unbelief. It'll just come naturally. But now listen, folks, it'll not happen until and unless we Turn within. That's where we're going to experience. So my question is, are we thirsty for the fountain to flow in our physical anatomy? Are we thirsty for that? Or are we just content to wait till after whatever happens? Mainly till we die physically. I'm telling you, there's a people that are going to experience this. There's a people that are beginning to experience it. And it's not something in the sweet by and by, and I think we need to really take this seriously. Because why? All of creation is on tiptoe looking. Looking, looking, looking for the manifestation of the sons of God that wit, to wit, the redemption of the body. And there are people that have learned that salvation has been provided for whole man. And we can experience the Lamb and the Bride in spirit, the Lamb and the Bride in soul, or awareness and the Lamb and the Bride in the physical body. The Bride becomes the Lamb's wife. The two have become one in the physical body as well as in spirit, as well as in the psych realm. You know, I've told you this Bible is a psychological book because, you know, we don't need the Bible because we came here with a Adamic identity or sinful nature. We need it to straighten up what has been going on here, because what has been going on here has caused us to forget who we were from before time ever began. See? But we're beginning to remember resurrection. We're beginning to remember a recovery of spiritual truth. Gather your faculties. And part of that gathering your faculties cannot be done without the meditation and the taking no thought. Amen? Father, we thank you tonight for your word, for your grace. For a circumcised heart, for an eye to see and an ear to hear, thank you for the glorious truths of whole man redemption and revealing by our spirit that we can experience this in the lovely here and now—not at some later time—but we can experience it today. Today is the day of whole man salvation. Amen. Amen. Amen.